book of Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers. And it's good that we come back and revisit some of these things sometimes. I want to read verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Because this is something that is so important that we make sure we get right as a church. And one of the ways that we can get it right is by looking at how others got it wrong. And hence we come to 1 Corinthians, the carnal Corinthians, and Paul's gracious words to them under apostolic authority. Notice what he says, giving some clues and some cues to his movement in his letter. Now I'm going to trust that you have an understanding of the background of the book of 1 Corinthians, and that the first part of this letter began with Paul giving some things that he was noticing the Corinthians had all out of whack within their church. Yeah, that's a good Georgian term, all out of whack. They were people-pleasing. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. They had cliques within their gatherings. They had issues going on. They, they didn't understand true godly wisdom. They weren't aware of the great power of the cross, the word of the cross, and the salvation that that brings. They, they had begun to emphasize other things than the preaching of the cross. And as Paul dealt with them, he also lovingly guided them to deal with some issues of immorality even within their own gathering, their own church family. And those were some hard things for the apostle to do. After he dealt with those things and covered a little bit about ministry and, and a little bit about how we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and, and these foundational things, then he takes up the latter portion of his letter to answer questions that evidently they had posed to him. Questions about, well, what about marriage and, and, um, and how does that fit into ministry and what if I'm single and well, what if I want to get married? But different things in chapter 7. And then chapter 8, he answers some questions about their interaction within the community of Corinth. Particularly when it comes to, what do we do when they throw a big party, a big shindig up at the temple? And I really want some of that brisket they got up there. But they've sacrificed it to the gods. Can I eat that, Paul? Is that okay? And so he points out some things to them about being on dangerous ground when you're eating meat sacrificed to devils and the tarnishment that that would do to the testimony of Christ. Chapter 9, he answers some questions regarding his own ministry and his apostolic authority and why he was doing what he was doing. And chapter 10 continues that theme. I give you that so that we can connect and build up to chapter 11 here. He's been dealing with some issues within the immediate family, uh, mainly the husband-wife relationship and how that imp impacts the home. Then he's moving towards dealing with these issues in the church. Look with me at verse number 17. You'll see a cue, a movement indicator in this phrase, now, in this, that I declare unto you, Paul tells them, I praise you not. Now, this kind of fits with our theme today. I don't know why sometimes the Lord picks these days to do this, but thou shalt not be as a hypocrite. 
How fun is that to say from beyond the pulpit? <laughs> Coming to you and I'm telling you, don't be like the hypocrites. Thou shalt not be them. Now I'm going to stand up here with the Apostle Paul and say, I'm not going to praise you in this. Now, it's not me doing that, okay? I'm, I'm the recipient of this just as you are. But Paul says, I've got some things here that I can't really boast about that's going on in your church there. I've got some things that I'm not going to praise you for. This sets the tone, sets the context for what they're doing with the Lord's table. He's building up to that, but this is part of his argument. They had some things out of whack in the, in the church services and in the authority structures within the church. And now he's going to this idea of the ordinance. This I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Lord, help us. If we ever come to church and feel like, man, I really wish I wouldn't have gone today. Hmm. It would have been better for me to have not been in the house of the Lord. That's misquoting the Psalms, by the way. <laughs> Our heart ought to be when we leave here. It was good for me to have been in the house of the Lord. Paul says, uh, we can't say that about why people are coming to what you're doing. It was not for the better, but for the worse. He says, okay, first of all, all right, Paul, what's going on here? First of all, there must be, uh, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I hardly believe it. He says, this is what people have been telling me, and well, I think they might be on to something. For there must be also heresies among you. Remember, everything revolves around doctrine in the church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, and so he says there's these divisions and the heresies. You've got people in their little circles over here on this teaching and over here on this teaching. And that they which are approved may be manifest among you when you come together, therefore, into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You think you're doing something, but you're not. You're all getting together. You think you're having the Lord's Supper, but there's more than meets the eye. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. What do you mean, Paul? Well, let me explain to you. One is hungry, and another's drunken. Not in our Baptist church, amen? What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Now, he's not condoning drinking alcohol there and getting drunk. Please don't misread the passage. Or despise ye, esteem little the church of God. You put it on the scales of everything you got going on, well, I mean, it might fit in today. We're esteeming it little. We're not giving the house of God enough weight. And shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, the same night in which he was betrayed, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and break it. He took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, 
eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. In my blood. His blood. This cup. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread, Paul says to them, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. You're showing the Lord's death. You're showing the Lord's death till he come. For whosoever, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Yes, that cup. Yes, that bread. Let him eat, let him drink. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened to the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Doing things decently and in order. Paul explains the problem very clearly that the Corinthian believers were having. As they gathered together, it became a destructive assembly rather than an assembly where you could come and be built up and be edified. They were actually tearing God's work down with their selfishness. He reprimands them with an apostolic declaration. I'm declaring this unto you, I praise you not. Notice the bookends here of I praise you not in verse 17 and verse 22. It encapsulates that whole idea, I praise you not. And it puts a bookend on either side of what he is telling them is their problem. It's these reported divisions. Now, we're learning from the church at Corinth, right? We're like the little sister. The big sister already got the spanking. And we're learning by education rather than experience. Somebody say amen because I love our church. And I'm not aware of these kind of divisions happening in our assembly. And if I ever become aware of them, you make sure whoever is behind this and I are going to have a serious conversation together because we must protect the assembly. And I take my responsibility as pastoring the flock very seriously. And I will stand and give an account to the Lord one day. I want to do so with joy in my heart. Because I want what's best for God's people. And so they're not helping matters when they're getting together. They're only making things worse. Because everybody shows up at the same time and then their problems surface. And they come together and before long you just kind of sit back and observe and say, Okay, yeah, I see that happening over here. This is over here. We've got these divisions. What's going on with these people over here? Hmm. Wow. 
Look at that. They're kind of getting the cold shoulder. Shameful. The reported divisions that came to Paul. I can't tell you how important the church's testimony is. I believe there's many churches today that are guilty of the same kind of divisions. You ever been to one of those places that's kind of clicky? Well, I just don't feel like I fit in here, or you know, I didn't find the right little circle to get in. And we we want to feel like we fit in when we go somewhere. We should. But friend, the ground is level at the cross. And the last time I checked, my blood was blue. You are awake. <laughs> it's not red until it hits oxygen, amen. So what color do you believe? It depends on which side you're pulling the blood from, Pastor. Which side of the harbor are you aiming for? <laughs> okay, we all believe red, right? And that redness in the blood. There's no distinction there. The ground is level at the cross. And so no matter what station in life we, we have, this is one thing that just I love about studying the early church. Those phrases where it says they had all things in common. Again, as I pointed out in the previous message, that's not talking about communism or socialism. That's meaning the ground is level at the cross. And if you have a lot, then you're helping those that don't. And if you don't, then you're thankful for the blessings that you do have. And you're doing what you can, still using your talents and gifts for the Lord. And it's not about who has and who has not. And what's better than something else and, and this and that. These divisions. And so Paul doesn't want to believe that this is going on. I mean, he, he planted this church there with, with Aquila and Priscilla. He made tents for a year and a half there just to make ends meet so he could preach the gospel to them. And God opened mighty powerful doors. You had the, the synagogue ruler got saved and Christmas, and they were having church in his house right next to where the synagogue was and the stir that that caused. And then not to mention all the commotion they were making among the Gentiles because of the uproar and the different things that they were creating by people getting saved and getting away from all these pagan practices and finding the truth in Jesus Christ. And so Paul in his mind's going back to that. He's saying, I just don't want to even believe it. That you would come to this place. It was repulsive to him. He says, there's got to be more going on. There has to be some something heretical happening. There has to be somebody teaching something in the church it's interesting to me that as an apostle, he would delve down and drive it home until he got to the doctrine, to the teaching of the church. That's revealing, isn't it? What are our doctrines? What do we teach? Are we living what we teach? We have a written doc doctrinal statement. Are we holding to that? Every year around our anniversary, I make a, a commitment, a fresh and anew to the church. As the pastor, I stand up. And I make a public commitment to say, from day one, I still believe the same thing that I believed when I came and the Lord called me to, to be involved in this church plant work. My doctrine has not changed. I'm still a dispensationalist. I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist, okay? I'm a biblicist before anything else, but I'm not a Calvinist. I mean, I do believe the Lord's coming back, and I do believe that we have a will to exercise in order to get saved. But God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to believe on God. I believe in the blood. I believe in the blood of Christ for salvation, that it's spotless, it's, it's sinless. He's my Savior. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in, in the fundamentals of the faith. Yes, I'm a fundamentalist. And I'm proud to say that in a good way. 
not in a negative way. Because without those things, friend, you don't have salvation. Without, without a 100% God-man, Jesus Christ. There's no liberal way around it. All roads don't lead to heaven. There's only one way. Well, the heresies. As long as I'm pastor here, I intend to hold true to that. I recall words of men that passed the baton to me, so to speak. Words of admonishment because of the concern I could see in their eyes. And I have some concern in my own heart today for many of my good brothers and sisters that are out there going a direction that I'm not comfortable going. I think they're heading on a slippery slope that's going to do damage to the cause of Christ. But what do I know? And I'm thankful for the music we have here in our church. I'm thankful for the Bible we preach from in our church, and I don't ever intend to change it. Regardless, doctrine matters. What Bible version we use matters. Our principles of godly music matter. Because it all stems from what? Doctrine, teaching. What do we believe and teach? Let me give you an illustration, I believe, of what was going on in Corinth. Well, you know, you can sit here at our table if, if you're in the same social class as we are. Well, that leaves me out. <laughs> oh, you didn't see the name plates? We've got name, we've got name spots at our tables here. You're in the wrong seat. This table is where the haves sit. That place over there is where the have-nots stand. That's where you can go get help. What? Really? The have-nots, well, your food is over there. We get our food over here. This, this is the, the special place. How disgraceful can that be? <laughs> now next time we have a potluck, I'm going to show up and there's going to be pastors. <laughs> pastors crock pot. <laughs> These, I mean, this is, how fake can you be? How fake? How fake can you be? This isn't real. This is saying we love, but we're not demonstrating it. They might be having a, quote, communion service, but there's only a certain group of people that they're really going to have that communion with. It's not really a communion service at that point. It's a, hey, what do we have in common service? Selfish. It's pseudo. It's selfish. It's shameful. Verse 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink? Says, Go do that somewhere else. Not here. That goes on in the world. It does. If you don't believe me, just head down to the country club. Alright? That, that happens. But this isn't the country club. This is God's house. And everyone should have access through Jesus Christ. And the ground is level at the cross. Otherwise it brings shame. Jude called it spots in the feast of charity. I mean, this can be like a canker. This is like a cancer that will just destroy an assembly of God's people faster than anything. And they think they're getting together for communion. 
But they're really doing Christ a great disservice. How selfish, how disgraceful, how little they esteem the church of God that Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. And so you might have a poor Christian that comes in and he's slaved all week long and he's worked his fingers to the bone. She has done everything she could that week and, and they and they're just they're tired of the of just everything, the business, and they're looking forward to Sunday and they want to get together and they're coming to church. They're looking forward, they anticipate gathering around with God's people and fellowshipping together with those who well they're supposed to have something in common with them through Christ's blood because we're all united by that, right? But when they show up, you know, maybe they show up late because they just got off work. They came, you know, straight uh, from work to church and they're rushing in. Maybe they, they weren't able to get all the right clothes on, perhaps. They don't get a warm reception. They don't get that loving embrace. And so they begin to hang their head down. Maybe feeling snubbed. Maybe feeling like, well, I guess I'm just not worth as much over here. These are practical ways that this can fall out. Now, you can't go up to him and ask him, do you feel like you're being snubbed? Can we do a survey with our church? We want to make sure that we're doing everything right. Can you fill this card out for me and turn that back in? Do you feel snubbed today? Please, dear Lord. This is severe. They may never utter a word. In fact, if they're kind and respectful, now some people will just tell you to your face, you guys need to get some things in line around here. But other people, they'll just shoulder it. They'll put on a good smile and they'll say, I'm all right, but they'll quietly go out and they won't be back. Why? Why won't they be back? Would you come back and subject yourself to that? Maybe if you're thinking you're taking up your cross, but why? So after he deals with their problem, he explains it. Do we have any questions about what was happening in Corinth? I don't think so. I think we can see. Can we also see how we might be in danger of slipping into these things? This is kind of that autopilot thing to where we just naturally tend to get in circles, right? We like that. In fact, we have Sunday circles on our schedule. And so circles aren't necessarily bad as long as it's a big circle, that everybody is part of. Not clicky circles. Clicky circles. And that's not what's going on. Please don't misunderstand me. This was happening in Corinth, and it was a real problem. So now Paul begins to explain the ordinance, and he gives them the communion partaking, and he expounds on that. And he tells them, okay, I let's get this straight. What are we doing when we partake of communion? Because you, you think you're doing it, but you're not. You're getting together and there's these problems. So what is it? He says, I've delivered unto you, not what I dreamed up in my own time here, I've delivered unto you that which I received from the Lord. Passing it on. He gets it from the Lord, apostolic authority, and delivers it to the church. This is the ordinance. Now when did Paul receive this from the Lord? During his time fellowshipping with Christ? You realize this man was trained at the feet of the resurrected Christ before he was ever put into ministry? Fourteen years the Lord worked on him from the time he was saved to the time he was sent forth with Barnabas to go plant churches out of Antioch. 
That's a long time. Three years just in the backside of Arabian Desert. Three years. So what seminary did you go to, Paul? The Savior's. And he says, this is what Christ told me. Now, if somebody comes up to you and says that to you today, I would highly question <laughs> who they are and what they're doing. You know, if I saw a 90-foot Jesus, and this is what he said to me. That's not what Paul's doing here. He, he is a fully-fledged apostle with all the apostolic authority of Christ commissioning him for the work of the ministry and building his church. So Paul says, this is a precious propitiation. This table is not about us. This table is not about what we can come together and have in common apart from what we have in common through what Christ did for us. That's what unifies us and how precious is the propitiation that he made for us through his shed blood. Paul was faithful to communicate clearly what the ramifications of the ordinance are. You ever been driving down the road and you see one of those signs, maybe a little hoodlum got his hands on and it's supposed to read 35, but instead it says, oh Lord. They turned the three into an eight. What? Defacing government property. Okay, this is an ordinance. And if we're not clear on what the sign says, then we might mess up and get it wrong. Well, officer, I thought the sign said 85 here, you know, middle of town. Right. <laughs> Step out of the car, please. <laughs> well, Lord, you know, I just thought that we could get together and we do this and the. Um, yeah, step out of the church, please. There is a right way to observe communion. And Paul was faithful to communicate that. He delivered the ordinance in verses 23 to 25. And I just want to reiterate for sake of going on record, this is not to be understood in the Catholic sense of communication. And what I mean by that is Paul is not saying, I am a priest and my bishop told me to do this. Wrong. He is receiving from the Lord. If you look at their catechisms and their dogmas, if you look at the decisions, particularly the Council of Trent, it says this, that this table is a sacrament. They call it a Eucharist, and they use a term that's a word that's used in here I'll tell you about. But the only way that they'll administer it is done under solely under a priest's authority. I am not a priest. I exercise the priesthood of the believer. But I'm not a duly ordained priest by any denominational hierarchy. Okay? I'm a pastor of a local New Testament Bible-believing Baptist church. And so this is meant simply to communicate that Paul was faithful to transmit the truth of the local church's requirement to observe this ordinance as one sent. That's what the term apostle means. He was sent by Jesus Christ under the direct authority of the resurrected Savior. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, plural, who, the church, the believers at Corinth. Not some special clergy group. It's to the church, and it's administered by the local church. What did you deliver unto them, Paul? 
that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The word delivered, I delivered unto you, is the same root word here as the word betrayed. So he delivered unto the, unto the church. What did he deliver? The truth that the night Jesus Christ was handed over. You see the root there? Paul's handing over the truth of the ordinance. And the ordinance begins with Jesus Christ because it was the night he was handed over for us. This immediately makes me think of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. He died in my place as though he were me, for me. Paul was faithful to communicate this ordinance. Christ was the one who was faithful to vindicate it through his shed blood. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread that he had taken and said, take. There is a comma after the word take. If you read the gospel accounts, he tells them in one place, drink ye all of it. Now, if I read that as a good Georgian, I'll just take that cup and down it. Oh, I did it. No, the sense is, drink ye all from this cup. Now, I think the Catholic Church takes that to an extreme. I went to a mass one time, and they were up there with their little hanky, you know, just turning the cup, wiping the I didn't drink that day. I left thirsty. Sorry. I'm not sorry. When he had given thanks, he said, take. So we all drink of this cup. There's no one that's left out. Drink ye all of it. And then he says, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me after the same manner. Also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament. Did I mention I'm a dispensationalist? It's the New Covenant in my blood. Who is he saying this to? Jewish men who have believed on the Messiah that God promised would come and deliver Israel. And he says this cup is the token. This cup is the picture of the sign sealed deal between me and the Father. That all the promises of the Old Testament are coming. And everything that Jeremiah said is going to happen. Everything that Ezekiel said is yet coming will be. And he says this cup is the new covenant. Oh, remember those promises about God writing his law on your hearts? This cup. Now we get to partake of that as believers. I am a Jew by faith through Abraham. Which means I'm a Gentile by my ethnicity. You with me? I'm not Jewish by birth. I'm Jewish by faith. Through Abraham. Which means the physical promises that were given to the nation of Israel will still be theirs. And one day, I will be part of God's raptured church. And you'll see me up there, represented in the book of Revelation, alongside not only the twelve foundation stones, but also the twelve gates. There's a distinction there on purpose. They're not all in one. And, oh, let me remind you, the apostles are the ones that Jesus said would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel in that day. 
Christ was the one who was faithful to vindicate. Notice he says here, he break it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken. And if you haven't marked this in your Bible, please mark it. The word for, F-O-R. Fancy terms, that just simply points us to substitutionary atonement. Yes, one three-letter word is packed with doctrine. Prepare plus the genitive. Speaks of substitutionary atonement. So it was done for us, substitutionary, in our place. That's why his body was broken, because it should have been mine. That's why his blood was shed, because it should have been mine. And he died, and he did it for me. Hallelujah. The picture of the broken bread is a picture of what happened at the Roman crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, where he was dealing with some issues of immorality. Remember that part I told you about earlier? In chapter 5, in verse number 7, after he tells them about this issue that's going on, he reminds, his, reminds them to purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, ye are unleavened. He says, why are you acting like you're not when you are? Purge that out. Get that leaven out. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, right? And so he says, for, let me explain. That's an explanatory for, not a who pair plus a genitive there. That is simply explanation. For, even ascensive, climactic, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Is. Present tense. He did it. It is so important that we understand the blood that is required for the atonement of sins. Not just the idea of the blood, not just the notion of the blood. I'm talking about the actual living blood of Christ. It was this blood that our high priest took into the heavens themselves. Because that was the only blood that would be able to purge the things in the heavens that everything here on the earth is just a shadow, a pattern of. The blood of bulls and goats was a forward-pointing thing that happened here. And there's not enough of that. There's no blood of an animal that will do what Christ's blood did. And he is our high priest and our sacrifice at the same time entered into the holiest of holies in the heavenly places. And I still haven't figured out what he was talking about in that the heavens had to be purged of these things. I have some ideas and some notions, you know, things like Jesus saw saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That happened before. What was it that he had to purge out? Well, he's our high priest. And the blood was required for that to happen. Are you washed in the blood? The sin-cleansing blood of the Lamb? This blood also instituted a new remembrance for his disciples that paralleled how Israel was delivered from bondage, being a picture of how Christ's death, you know, you can't have a covenant without the death of the testator, Hebrews tells us. Death had to occur. He didn't swoon, he didn't faint, he died. And then he resurrected. 
by the power of the Father. He resurrected by his own power, and he resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. All three attested to in the New Testament. And so this death, this burial, death for our sins according to the Scriptures, this burial, this resurrection, is what delivers those who place their faith and trust in Him. Delivers them from the bondage of sin and death. So it was Paul's faithfulness to communicate what this ordinance was and how it was to be handled and delivered. Paul faithfully delivered that to them. It was Christ and His faithfulness who vindicated it through His shed blood. And it is the believer's faithfulness to participate. Communicate, vindicate, participate. Paul did the communicating. Christ did the vindicating. We get to do the participating. That's sweet to me. Because that says Christ did it all. And then he extends that invitation to me and says, Now you today, come and drink. Drink ye all of it. Because we show the Lord's death till he comes. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. What a memorial. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do you notice the imperatives throughout this passage? Let me give them to you. Jesus imperatively tells you, as his follower, take. He tells you, commands you, yea, eat. So what if you don't take? What if you don't eat? Are you obeying Christ? Twice there. Not only does he say take, he says eat. He says do. This do in remembrance of me. There's no out on this. Either you are going to do it or you aren't. And if you are going to do it, it needs to be in accordance with the way Christ lined it out. Amen? Take, eat, do. Then, in verse number 28, he tells you this. Examine. Eat. Drink. Those are the imperatives that you'll find there. Take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. Later he says in verse 28, examine, eat, drink. And then in verse 33 and 34, the last imperatives of the passage here in your study, he says, tarry. And then he says, eat. I don't see an out. I see an eat. Now, I know it's easy to come to the Lord's table and think, you know, there'll be next month. I just, I've got a lot going on right now between me and the Lord. And I just don't know if I'm, Jesus said, take, he said, eat, but he said, after you've examined yourself and he says to the church, make sure you give time, tarry for one another so that we can come to this table. There's nowhere in this passage you'll see Jesus says it's okay for you to walk away from it. It's not okay for you to walk away from this and say next time. 
If you do that, then you are disobeying his command to take and to eat. Now, with that said, I want to caution you very carefully to make sure you don't wind up partaking unworthily. Context would tell us that that would be if there's something that's not right within God's people. If there is anything between us and somebody else, particularly in this church, then the answer is not, well, I'll put it off and I'll do it next time. That'll give me time to get right. Get right with them right now. You hear me? I'm telling you, don't let the sun go down on this. While we're tearing, I don't care if you have to get up from where you're sitting and go and sit next to the person if they're here today and just kind of come up to them and say, you know, I'm sorry. Do it. And I know you'll know the Lord's forgiveness. And then you can come to this table and you can honor the Lord and take and eat. Put it in the scales. Can you discern the Lord's body? How can you not forgive this person, even if they haven't asked you yet, how can you not forgive them in light of what Jesus did for you? That is not discerning the Lord's body. If you'll discern that he was broken and still said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then whatever, whatever is going on ought to be able to be resolved. I'll use a good southern term, lickety-split. No wasting time on this one. Before we approach the table, it's absolutely crucial that we know we're all on the same page together. And we're going to wait. Now, I've never had this occur, but as a pastor, if the situation never presented itself to where I was aware of something that was going on, and I didn't see some movement, and I wasn't confident that people were right with one another before I distributed this, I might just stand up and say, you know what? We want to obey the Lord, so we're just going to wait. We're not going to say no, but we're going to tarry. Which means... The community center is going to wonder what we're doing in here still after the doors are supposed to be shut and we're supposed to be out. And we're going to tarry. And we're not going to be afraid of silence. And when the Holy Spirit finally moves on that quiet heart, that knows they're the one that everybody else is waiting for. Once we have that peace, then we can come and everything's under the blood. And Christ truly is our Passover. And we can sing songs together again and say I'm saved by the blood because he saw the blood, he passed over me. And the blood's on the doorpost and we all, we all have everything in common. The problem's been exposed. They had a praiseless practice. Paul couldn't praise them for that. But they got it right. And then he expounded the partaking. And he has some more things about not coming presumptuously and examining yourself and waiting. There's a duty in which we examine ourselves. Because if we'll examine ourselves and if we'll judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. So don't wait for the Holy Spirit to come to you and nudge you and say, you know you need to get right. Just do it. Leave your gift at the altar if you've got to. 
take care of it, and come back and worship. God's not going anywhere. And He wants you to be right. You'll have a delightful opportunity if you'll come the right way. Diacrino is the word examine. It means to examine. Now, I wore my sermon illustration today, and I did so on purpose, because how many of you like pastors? Homemade ice cream. I'm still wearing some of it. That's green food color on a white shirt. Now, every time you look at my shirt, you're going to be looking for that spot, aren't you? Oh, this is the shirt that also has, yep, right there. That's mascara from my granddaddy's funeral. And yes, I have washed the surf shirt since then many times. But I can look at that and I can examine it and I know exactly whose mascara that is. And I remember the tears that we shared together over grieving my granddad who's with the Lord. But this is a white shirt. If I'm going to discern it, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, you know what? I mean, it looks pretty good, but got something i got to deal with right there. Anybody know how to get green food coloring out of a white dress shirt? I've been unsuccessful thus far. But there's there's a spot. Okay, this shirt now is forever. I'm, I'm going to look down and see that green spot and remember how yummy that mint chocolate chip ice cream was at Labor Day. Mm, every time I'm going to remember that. Mm, that was good stuff. The peach was better though. <laughs> I discern. I discern that. You see, you examine, you look at your life. And yeah, you might have some scars along the way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that are dark spots, things that are that you know aren't right between you and God. Why don't you discern that and agree with him? He's already trying to nudge you that way. You just need to confess it and say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Plain as day. I know what I need to do. I'm going to get right with you and I'm going to get right with them and just take care of it. If we'll examine ourselves, it was wrong for me to treat that person that way. It was wrong for me to say this. Whatever it might be, none of us are perfect. And so if we'll judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. We will be able to discern, discern, the Lord's body and His blood. That's what He says in this passage. That if you fail to do this kind of examination, how many of you like examinations? Don't raise your hand because none of us like tests. I was trying to think of some kind of you know good way I could give you an examination and hand a piece of paper out to you and, and say, okay, now take this little test. This will tell you if you're spiritual or not. Well, I might be... I might be falling in line of, of what I've been preaching against in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? Here's a little list you can check off and make sure you're spiritual. You understand. This is a test that only you and God can take together. He's going to administer it, and the Holy Spirit's going to ask the questions. And if your heart will agree with Him, can I get multiple choice? Do the examination work. And then once you've confessed that, and agreed with God for it, and gotten right with somebody if you need to, approach the table. Jesus invites you to. Don't walk away from it and harbor this. It will be it'll be a cancer. It will eat you up. And eventually, that root of bitterness will spring up and trouble you. And eventually, 
It will do damage to the body of Christ. It may even bring death. I pray not for that. But there are extreme cases, and Paul acknowledges that here. Some have held on to this, clutched it so tight that it's taken them to the grave, and now they're sleeping because they're just not willing to say, not my will, but thine. It's that simple. Well, unworthily, not according to desert, without due regard to merit, to treat as unworthily. The sense of what's deserved. If you are going to be deserving of this table, that means you're partaking worthily. How do you deserve to be able to come to this table? Through the blood of Christ. He's the one who paid it all. And so for them to come and eat unworthily was for them to come and take of the table of the Lord and not give him what he rightly deserves, namely first place in their heart. Make sure he's on the throne. He's on the seat. And they in no way could be loving him supremely when they couldn't even love properly those around them. It goes both ways. And so, if that's the case, then the Lord has discipline and action for that, and the chastening will come. And I'll let him take care of that, and that's his prerogative, not mine. And he has to work on me too, as old evangelist Chuck Cofty used to say, it's good to have a little bloodshed behind the woodshed sometimes. Because it keeps us in line and keeps us right. So Paul says here to the Corinthians, I can't praise you for this. Time to go out behind the woodshed a little bit. Let's deal with some issues to make sure we're coming to the table properly and discerning the Lord's body when we partake, tearing for one another. What great counsel from this loving apostle. He loves us. He didn't know Broomfield Baptist Church. He was right in court, but he loves us because he loves the church that Jesus loved and gave himself for it. And I love this church. And so for me to stand up here and give you some squishy message to make you feel good about getting to the table and, and oh, doesn't that taste yummy and all of this, I'm sorry, I just have to give you the word today and tell you, is there anything, anything at all, before we come to the table, let's tear you for one another and let's make sure, you know, maybe the person's not even in the church here today, get it right with them. Can you do that? Agree with God and just get right with Him. I didn't say trust Him the next time you saw Him. They have to earn trust. I get it. But we can forgive and choose not to bring things up again and put things under the blood. 